time with him and you spend time worshiping him and you spend time in, uh, around the throne and you spend time adoring him and you spend time talking to him just like you're dating your wife or your husband. And then the next thing, that relationship grows and whether it's good communication, the thing thrives. And when you stop talking to each other, then you're irritated with one another. And there's nothing uh, that a good old sit down come to Jesus meeting won't sort things out in a marriage, amen? And then finally through the period of time, then you get the work so forth. But back here, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2 if you would. I'd like to talk about uh, the seven walks. There's seven walks you find in the scriptures, and I'm telling you, the Lord didn't save you and just abandon you. He's a good father. He's a good parent. He didn't just save you and say, well, uh, all right, superstar, you're on your own. Uh, the Lord saved you, and then he left his word. He left his word so you could learn how to walk with him. Walk with him, and uh, the local church uh, is run by a bunch of insane clowns, I guess, these days, and they think that the only thing you can do is serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord, but I want to serve the Lord because I get to, not because there's someone above me putting pressure. You ever stop and think in some of these churches, who's putting the pressure on the preacher to get everyone out? You ever stop and think of pastors? They put out more pressure than anybody else. <laughs> they, they put more pressure on people than a blood pressure cuff. <laughs> You ever been there getting your blood pressure? You ever stick your arm one of those things at Walmart or somewhere, or Kmart or what it was, and like, oh, that's what that's how some churches are. Now we're not that way here. And look, I'm not just straightening pictures. I've I've got a place I'm going with this thing. But I've been in that position where you're like in the Walmart blood pressure cup, and it's like, oh, it's gonna cut my arm off. And people love to put pressure on others to do things. Let me tell you what, someone putting pressure on you to do something, the Lord don't want you doing it, you better not do it. I wonder if someone ever got stuck in that blood pressure cuff. It should be a video called Blood Pressure Epic Fails or something like that. But let's look at this first one here. Uh, I'm, I'm, this, one ought to be, uh, this one ought to be very simple. Uh, this is the walk of the unsaved. The walk of the unsaved. Now, there's nothing I'm going to show you tonight that you don't have a decent understanding on. Walk of the unsaved. But you see, it's like I preached this morning. It's not necessarily that you don't know something and simply looking at something is going to uh, flip the switch. Maybe it will. But you know what it is? I believe most time in life of a Christian, it's whether or not you're willing to put the work into something. And if you're willing to put the work into your Christian life, the Holy Ghost can take that work and do something with it back in your own life. And very times, unless you're willing to plow around and plot around in the fertile ground of truth, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with when it comes to seeing you grow. Now look at this thing, Ephesians chapter 2. This is the walk of the unsaved. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Bible says, you hath he quickened who were dead. All right, before we go any farther, you know what the walk of the unsaved is? He's a dead man. He's a dead man. He's got no hope. In trespasses, as you walked according to the course of the, this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of a disobedience. You know what that unsaved walk is like? He's walking according to the course of this world. No believer has any business walking according to the course of this world. If you find yourself caught up with this world and enamored with this world, and let me tell you what, all you got to do is get yourself on a plane and win you a trip to Vegas. <laughs> I'm sure I'm a heretic now. Wife and I want a trip to Vegas. 
And I tell you, from the moment you get off that plane and you get down there in that Sin City, and it is definitely Sin City, it is enamoring. I mean, there are lights and bing, 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 all that sort of things going off and people trying to get your attention in an indie, it's terrible. But that's this world. That's why your phone has so many notifications that wants to get a hold of you, wants to get your attention. Why? That's the course, the course, the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worked in the children of disobedience, among whom also, verse 2, we all had our conversation in time past, what? In the lust of our flesh. You know the walk of the unsaved majors in? The next one, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There are some desires in your flesh you need to leave alone. There are many desires in your mind you best not get out of that closet. You better leave them alone. We preached about it this morning. I was it in Sunday school uh, talking about how reasons uh, goal is not to be ashamed with your life. You've got to stop looking within. And the problem with the Christian today in 2023 is the problem with me. It's the problem with you. The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you look within. And you've got to stop looking within, minus the brushing of the teeth. That's always a good inward look, amen? <laughs> a little bit of scope, never hurt anybody. But besides that, I mean, you've got to, if you start right off the bat fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the mind, you're going to run errands all day long. You're going to run errands all day long, and you'll never be satisfied. We're talking about the walk of the unsaved. The walk of the unsaved, look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're just going to look at a handful of scriptures. I got about 80 references. We're not going to go all 80. Uh, it's just insane, but it's, uh, it'd be good stuff. Romans chapter 3, this walk of the unsaved. It, you know why it's given to us? It's called learning. You learn what something is like. You learn what something is opposite to it. And then you repeat the matter until you learn it. I like to learn. If you're a good teacher, you can give me what something is like. You can give me what something is opposite and avoid all that garbage filler in the middle. It just confuses me on the test. All I want to know is the facts for it and the facts against it. And give me, and that, give me that. I'm good. Amen. All right. Now look at Romans 3, 9, uh, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have before, uh, before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. All right, the walk of the unsaved, they're under sin, aren't they? They're under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. So that walk of the unsaved, they're not, not, nobody's righteous at all, none at all. And the righteousness that you have, the saved, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. You ever stop and think, I don't care how smart they are, how related to Steve Jobs or... Tom, was it Bezos? What's his name? Jeff Bezos or something like that? Uh, they're unprofitable. Oh, no, you haven't read their fourth quarter statement. They're unprofitable. That means they don't, they're, not, they're totally, they're, they're worth to the Lord. That's it. They just, they're not even a drop in the bucket. And none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. Together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There's an itching, burning desire in the heart of every lost man to be religious. But you know what? No matter what he does, no matter how much he gives to charity, no matter how much he gives to the retarded children fund, that's up in your grill for the last week, uh, you, none that doeth good, no, not one. I'm sorry. Developmentally disabled people. Right? No matter what. Yeah. 
Bible says their throat is an open sepulcher. With tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Do you realize I'm I'm reading a description of you the day before you got saved? But we don't think of ourselves like that, do we? We think of ourselves in the present tense, justified, sanctified, glorified, and all the other fried there is. (laughs) Bible says it moves on, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, that might apply on Monday mornings. Uh, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. You ever stop and think no matter what kind of a ride an unsaved person has, they might have a nicer ride than you, a nicer, newer truck, a nice house. They might have nice things. They don't have no peace. No peace at all. What would you rather have? Something that barely starts and gets from point A to point B? Amen. Or no peace? I'd, I'd rather have whatever. I don't care if it was an Amish cart, as long as I'm not the horse. <laughs> Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, destruction, misery in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. You know how that goes. There's no fear. No fear. You know what I know about most of you? You fear God. You fear God. You fear God. Uh, you fear what God will do to you. A lot of the old preaching is, well, I fear God. What God will do to my family. Don't take me wrong. I love my family. You go ahead and mess with them and find out how much I love them. But I fear God what he'd do to me. I'd rather take the whooping and get right. Don't you love? Yeah, I love my family. But I'm not going to get up here and go, if you don't live right, the Lord's going to mess with your family. <laughs> he's going to mess with you is what he's going to do. I'd rather just go ahead and take the whip and take, take my stripes and get the thing right. Why? I don't, I don't want my heavenly father mad at me. Now, I've gone a few days with the Lord mad at me. How about you? It ain't no fun. You ever notice how dark that thing gets when you know you're out of fellowship? It's probably just me, right? And all of a sudden, your mind starts going dark like it used to before you got saved, but the lights won't go off all the way. You see what I mean? And next thing you know, uh, you're entertaining thoughts that you have not entertained in many, many days. And you're like, man, this is bad news. i got to get out of here. Say, what do you do? You stop falling out of the sky, you pull the ripcord and say, Lord, help. (laughs) And you get back in fellowship with him. Look at Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. A few more. We're talking about the walk of the unsaved. Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. Just a few more scriptures on this. You say, why are you talking about the walk of the unsaved? Because you used to be like this. This used to be, and I'll tell you what, every time you step out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you immediately revert back into to this position, not unsaved, but just doing whatever you want. Look at Psalm 5, verse 9. The Bible says, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Well, that describes today. Wife and I, we talk. I mean, it's a kind of a blessing when we do, amen. Uh, and I remember when we were dating, we were talk, 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 talk. You know, and then all of a sudden, now the older we get, sometimes we'll go for a long period of time in the car and none of us will say a word. You say, what is that? I think we just wore out half the time. (laughs) But we're just together, you know what I mean? But you see this thing, no faithfulness. I was talking to her the other day. And I said, isn't it interesting we live in a country that can do anything? We really can. It's kind of like what the Lord said about the men around the Tower of Babel. Now nothing shall be restrained from them. You live in a a country where you can have it your way. And you can do whatever you want, but there ain't enough workforce to fuel nothing. 
boys and I, uh, one son and I went to the McDonald's in Mile, and we're going to get this, that, and the other. Can't get it, you know, shake machines down. <laughs> like, really? Okay, well, let's just, okay, Diet Coke. No ice. No ice in the whole building. You ever drink a warm Diet Coke? Now, look, I'm German, but I ain't that German. That's gross. See what I mean? Say, what do you do? Well, you do what anybody does. You go to the next town, the next McDonald's. Guess what? Their machine's broken, too. And so you're mad enough, and then you go across, you go across the street thinking that the, the restaurant across from McDonald's is going to, and you wait in line for a half hour, and there's only one person in front. Half hour. So what would you do? I put that thing in reverse and got the you-know-what out of there. <laughs> Why? Not faithful. Nobody shows up to work anymore. If you're a Christian, you don't show up for work, that'll fire you. Amen. But now you, 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 could, you, could, uh, you could be an axe murderer and get a job. You could. Why? Nobody's going to show up and go to work anyways. But there's no faithfulness in their mouth. Uh, Psalm 5, verse 9, their inward part is very wickedness. Isn't that a wild way that David said they're very wickedness? Even their guts are wicked. <laughs> you ever see that? That's the walk of the unsaved. I'll give you one more. I'll go over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll do two more. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now this walk of the unsaved should be opposite of your walk as a child of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 14. The Bible says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You see that? We're talking about the walk of the unsaved. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts. You know what you were before you got saved? You was ignorant. <laughs> not only that, but if you take the first part of that verse, the walk of the unsaved is a walk of disobedience. I got a chuckle here. You hear some preachers uh, get all fired up. Uh, someone, someone tells them they're going to come to church and the lost person don't come to church. Well, duh. They're lost. They're diso- what do you expect? What John? What did the Lord tell uh, the, the Pharisees in John eight four four? You have your father, the devil. The less your father, you will do. So what happens? You talk to a lost man. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to church. And he wants to. He really does. But somewhere between here and there, his father says, "You ain't going to church. You stay home and clean your room." So he don't show up. And the lust of your father, ye will do. But you're disobedient towards God. Last one, Romans chapter 1, this walk of the unsaved. But sometimes it's, it's not good to wallow in the, uh, in the walk of the unsaved, but it's good to realize what you've been saved out of. You ever, you ever stop and think that any single one of you sitting here today, minus little Becca, could be in that situation right now? And how about this? It could be even worse. You could have uh, just said, you know what, I'm tired of church. I'm tired of Bible Believers Baptist Church. I'm tired of these folks. I'm tired of these folks here. I'm tired of them over there, and I'm going to go do my own thing. you just be like the prodigal son in the far country. And then this stuff is going to line right up with you. Uh, look at Romans 1.21. The Bible says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Ain't that the truth? All kinds of lost people know who God is. But right about the time they get to know who God is. You know, there's a lot of people in town got to know who God was. You say they did? How'd they do that? Through your signs, through your tracks. And you know what? Some people, even though I'm going to guarantee they're lost, 
They, they saw who God was through those signs, those tracks, and you know what they did? Beep, beep. They glorified him. You see that? But you know what most people do? When they knew God, you ever saw, that old song says, they see Jesus in me. I know some of that stuff's a little corny, but you are the only Jesus some people will ever see. Are you a good Jesus? <laughs> are you a bad Jesus? He says, neither were they thankful. You see that in 21, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. They're in the dark. Doesn't the Bible say that, the, 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 that their mind's been blinded? The devil's blinded the mind of them which believe not. You ever wonder why it's so hard to talk to a lost person sometimes about anything spiritual? Because they're in the dark. I mean, you, it's just like, yeah, you know, I can see my socks are on the floor. You talk to a lost man, they'll run right into the cotton-picking dresser. They don't know. They're blind. <laughs> Some of you all have done that before. <laughs> Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lost man. That's how he walks. He thinks because he's got an education, he's got an, uh, an MA or a BA or a PhD or something, he's somebody. No, you're a fool. That's the walk of the unsaved. Look at 24, God, uh, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies. Yes, I'm going, who changed the truth to God into a lie. Verse 25, there it is. That's the walk of the unsaved. They take God's truth and they change it into a lie. They take the truth of God. You take, for example, we talked about this in the educational system. Uh, the truth of the matter is this. Every child is inherently bad. <laughs> that went over real well. You know, what the, you, know what, uh, you know what a lost man does in education? They say every child is inherently good. The truth is every person, every child is inherently bad. And unless you put, instill something into them, they're going to stay bad. Now you've got to make the right decisions. <laughs> well, if you'd start looking at young people the way you ought to and realize they're inherently bad, and unless you put that good into them, it ain't going to work. What you do is you take the truth and the truth of God and you change it into a lie. And they end up serving the creature more than the creator. You get the point there. That's, that's the walk of the unsaved. You need to be familiar with that walk. You need to be able to know your Bible enough to know that am I walking like an unsaved man? Am I walking like an unsaved man or I'm walking how the Lord Jesus Christ wants me to look? Let's look at the second one, the walk of good works. Now, once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, through the process of time, dedication, and the Lord will allow you to get a hold of some good works. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 down to verse 10. It's the walk of good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. All right, the Bible says you know the verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus in the good works, which God hath ordained before that we has before ordained that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. Let's define the we, all right? That's the W E, not the W I I. Let's define who we are. We know, of course, is talking to saved individuals, but is it just a certain group of people? Is it just a certain is it a certain uh, select few? Uh, can we define the we from the scriptures? Well, sure we can. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 9 and 10. 
the walk of good works. The Bible says that we are His workmanship. He's the one who created a good work inside of us the moment we got saved. You realize that? You see, people get it messed up with good works. They say you have to do something to be saved. No, absolutely not. Your works are no good. But you know what? Somebody does something in there. And Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, uh, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So someone's doing a good work in you. I mean, look in the mirror if you can stomach it and go, how in the world can anything good come out of what I'm looking at in the mirror? That's because Christ begun a good work in you. All right, uh, here you have in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, In like manner also that women, women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So if we're going to talk about good works, then we're going to have to say that we must include the women. The women. Right? <laughs> A little something for everybody. <laughs> you know, you say, why'd you do the women first? Uh, well, I just didn't want y'all to feel left out. Amen. <laughs> How about this? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Who is the we including? Let's define the we according to Scripture. This is the walk of good works. We see here in the Bible that the women are supposed to be in the walking in good works. Well, here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of, of, of for good works. There it is. Not only the women, but the widows. You see that? You say, well, what if she's still grieving? Well, of course, go ahead and grieve. Take all the time you want. Uh, amen. The Lord can still take care of a widow. Amen. A lot of times you think because we have a hard time or difficult circumstances that exempts us from doing something for the Lord. No, it actually opens up the opportunity for us to do something for the Lord if that were to happen without distraction. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a husband or a wife <laughs> were distractions. Can you imagine how much uh, your spouse could get done if they didn't have you to mess around with <laughs> and to take care of? <laughs> And to pick up after you, <laughs> that is funny, amen. But you got the women, no one else is laughing. <laughs> they value their life. <laughs> You've got the women, you got the widows. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's move on. 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 6. Now some of the sweetest people I ever met were widows. And then I saw some of them sweet, kind, godly widows get married and turn into miserable people. Miserable, miserable as a hound dog with a toothache. I'm telling you, I knew some widows, and they were just, they were sweet as pecan pie. Um, and then they, they just had to get married. It messed the whole thing up, man. It did. You say, easy for you to say. I know, easy for me to say I'm married. But they were sweet as the rainbow before they got remarried. They got remarried to the old ball and chain. It dumped him off in the end of the lake, you know, with the ball. <laughs> Serious. You not be careful. You marry somebody and that thing will be a boat anchor. And you'd be looking for a boat anchor to bury him with. <clears throat> 1 Timothy six seventeen to 19. <laughs> Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world. 
Must not be talking to Baptists, eh? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, latest studies, even 20 years ago, said if you have a dollar in a bank account, you're in the 75% richest of the population in the world. <laughs> you're rich. <laughs> Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That's a great verse right there. Giveth us all things richly to enjoy. That they do good, that they be what? Rich in good works. There it is. All right, so the women, you've got the widows, and uh, you've got the rich, the wealthy. Oh, thank you. I like that. That's better. I have been working on my alliteration, and that is a blessing to see someone do it for me. Amen. I don't know what you're going to do with this next one. We'll see uh, how synonymously you are. Um, look at Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Yeah, I, I have looked for new synonym apps. One is, uh, it's called uh, Hippo, the hip, little hippo or something like that. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Yes, yes, yeah. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I've quoted it before we started. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteous, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, Unto all good works. There it is. All right, what's the alliteration here? Yeah. No, the man of God. I like what, I like what the old preacher said. He says, I don't want to be a man of God. I want to be God's man. <laughs> Amen. But the man of God. All right. And last but not least, look, uh, look at Titus chapter 2. Last one on this thing about uh, defining the we of being ordained in the good works. What? Worshiping man? That'll, that'll work. The worshiping man. <laughs> I don't have to wonder why my sermons only get about 30 to 40 views. It's all right. <laughs> it's like, bring a box of crayons, you know. <laughs> All right, Titus chapter 2, look at verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, young men, here you go, young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. What's that? The whippersnappers. Wow, y'all are getting real serious with this. I'm going to give you the topic, y'all give me the points, and I'll preach them. How's that? All right, I'll put it up there. How's that? I'm going to put young men in parentheses. And then the whippersnappers. There you go. That is really good thinking. Amen. So when you define the walk of good works, you know what people say? People say this. Uh, well, you wait till you're older. Oh, no, young men, you need to be uh, endowed with good works now. I'll go a step further. If you don't get after it now, there will not be a later because while you're still green and you're formable and you're shapeable and you're pliable and you're willing to yield and you're willing to change, the Lord can change you what he wants you to do. And when you get older, you're set in your ways and you won't do it. You won't do it. There'll always be something in the way. But that's defining. What about these good works? Look back to Titus chapter 2. Now, this is really familiar stuff, but it should bring into view how important good works are to walk in, as in, there's good works for the believer, and you should walk around in them. 
that make sense? Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, you know what the Bible says there? You should be zealous of good works. You should have a zeal to do good works. You ever have a zeal to read your Bible or a zeal to pray? How about a zeal to do something for the Lord? Now, I understand if you don't have clear direction, you need to learn to wait on God. But please tell me that within our church, a handful of people, we have somebody with some zeal for some good works. The Bible says you should be zealous of good works. I mean, it should be kind of like an ardent flame kindling somewhere. Like, give me the right amount of oxygen, Lord, and I'll do something. <laughs> right? You ever see how that flame, uh, I don't know if you're in northern Michigan, everyone burns wood, maybe Maybe not. I don't know if you do or not. But if you have the damper uh, tucked down, you just got this little smolder, but it sure puts off the heat. And then all of a sudden you put that damper and you open that thing wide up. That's zeal, man. That's passion. That's ardent desire. And you should be zealous of good works. If you're not zealous of good works, can I just tell you, there might be something between you and the Lord. If you don't want to come to church, if you don't want to read your Bible, if you don't want to spend time in prayer, if you don't want to do something for the Lord, if you don't want to serve the Lord, if you don't want to see your family saved, if you don't want to see your schoolmates saved, if you don't want to see all... You see what I mean? There's something wrong. Why? That's a good thing. That's a good work. You should be zealous of good works. Titus chapter 2, verse 17, not only should you be zealous of good works... But old Paul, Paul tells Titus, Titus, look, you're going to have to have a pattern of good works. As a young man, you need to have a pattern of good works. Uh, that is, uh, no, this is not just my pet ministry. This is, this is just this is all I do, you know. The, the, you know, I just, this is my skill set. No, 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 you should have a pattern of good works. Uh, and you start that thing, and you're faithful with it. You see what I mean? You should have a pattern you know what the pattern for the young man in 2023 is? The pattern is to wear your thumbs out. <laughs> You're living amongst a generation. I have no idea how they're going to enter the workforce. I don't have a clue. And you know what? When I was in, in high school, when I was in grade school, I remember my parents saying, boy, this generation's got some lessons to learn, but you can guarantee they knew everyone's going to enter the workforce. I don't know how they're going to do it. You want to know why people got to make 20 bucks an hour now? Because nobody come to work. But you should have a pattern. You should have, be zealous of good works. You should have a pattern. And not only that, you get to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 and verse 8. Here's the important part. Verse 8 and verse 14. You have to learn to maintain it. You see that? You have the zeal, so you do it. Check the box. Here's the pattern. I'm doing what I should be, but now you got to keep it up. you got to keep it up. And when it comes to serving God and having zeal to do something good for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're talking any type of good work, we're serving the Lord through the auspice of your local church. God's not going to get in and bless on this uh, this uh, parachurch, anything, that's things done outside the church. He's not going to bless it. Why? God gave his life. He shed his blood for the church. I know people get all worked up in the big service in the morning when I start preaching about that stuff, but if you think God's going to bless anything outside this local church and you won't lift your hand to do anything for him here, forget it. But once you do it the right way and you get worked up about the thing, you establish a pattern, you learn, you got to learn to maintain it. 
God will give you something to do, you know, to do. He'll get you fired up to do it, and then you'll charge off and you'll get after it. And after a while, he'll pull the plug on it. You know why he'll do that? To see your response. You say, what do I do when God pulls the plug? You sit there and wait. And you just, you let the pressure burn, and it's going to burn you. And you're going to be doing something for God, and you know what's going to happen? God's going to let someone come along and going to do it. And he might just bench you. Now, look, I know we're a small church. <laughs> Don't worry about getting benched too much. <laughs> but it happens. And a lot of times the Lord will do that to you. He'll let you go through that to see what kind of spirit you got about you, what kind of attitude. Are you serving me because you love me? Or are you doing something because you just got to have your conscience appeased because you want to be doing something? After a while of working with the young people over there in Lupton, I went up to the father-in-law and I said, hey, I said, I really enjoy doing this. And I couldn't always say that over the years. <laughs> I said, I really enjoy doing this, and I want to let you know that if you think that someone else should be doing that, you just let me know. I'll step down. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're good where you're at, he said. But you've got to learn to maintain that thing. Something else about good works. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. You know what the Bible says over there? Brother Paul says over there in Hebrews 10, 24, that we're supposed to provoke one another unto good works. Provoke. Listen, the longer you do something for the Lord and you start serving the Lord with zeal and you develop a pattern and you maintain it, doing that should, main, should provoke others to do good works. Now, that doesn't mean you pick on someone who's not doing what you're doing. That means you keep doing the good works and because you're doing something, you put conviction on their life. Don't you think for 30 seconds there's people in this church that don't know they ought to be getting off their blessed assurance and doing something for the Lord, and they see you young people doing it. Don't you think that doesn't bother them? You say, well, it probably doesn't. I bet it does. But you keep doing it. Why? Because we're supposed to provoke one another, and the way you provoke it is by being faithful. You provoke others unto good works by being faithful, not running your yap about, look at all I'm doing. All right, you got to provoke one another. How about this one? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You know, uh, you know the purpose of your good works is so God can see, uh, others can see the Lord through it. <clears throat> the purpose of good works is not to showcase you, but the purpose is to showcase Jesus Christ. Take your and go there. I know most of you know this, but this is a great verse. In the light of doing good works, because we uh, we have the ability to do so, and you ought to do good works because you get to, not because some uh, pathetic preacher from the pulpit is putting pressure on you. There's a lot of peas in that one. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. You ought to do good works. You know, I tell you what, to get a chance to help around the church, you ought you ought to do it. Why? Because you got a strong back, and a lot of people don't. I see my dad coming through here now, and if he can hit one service at what is he, 88? If he, is he 88? If he can, what, one service, that's a blessing. You know, that man one month would like to be here every service. You see, that thing goes back to what Paul said to Timothy, do thy due diligence to come before winter. You need to do things while you got strength. You, got, you need to learn to do things. Are you listening? You need to learn to do things before the winter of life sets in because when the winter of life sets in, you're not just getting up and doing whatever you want. There's restrictions, there's limitations, there's inabilities. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your Facebook profile and glorify your great selfies. Is that what it says? <laughs> you would think. You'd think by the way some of the churches around here promote themselves and promote their preachers and promote their ministries that they're doing it for them. You know why we preach? It ain't for me. It's for you. He says, <laughs> he says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. All right, so you need to, you need to be involved in good works so others can see the Lord. Here's another one, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 25. Here's a tough one, 1 Timothy 5, verse 25. You realize there's there not always going to be some zeal connected with your good works. Somebody that's been around, say amen there. But you need to do good works even though you can't see the results. Preached a message a while back about the Kohathites, the ministry of the Kohathites. And you remember them sons of, uh, sons of Aaron? You had Gershon and Merari. And you had Kohath. The one fellow, he got a little bit of help. The second fellow, he got a whole lot of help. And the Kohath, well, he just strictly out of luck, man. You got no help at all. <laughs> I said, one thing go, if it weren't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. <laughs> That's the Kohathites. They had to bear everything on their shoulders. But that verse over there in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 25, says you're supposed to continue on in good works even though you can't see them. You can't see the results. You know, when you're a blessing and you're able to do something, a lot of times the Lord lets you see the results here. And that's why you keep going on. But listen, when you don't get to see the results here, you've got to keep going on. You've got, you got to keep stirring yourself up. That's uh, Acts chapter 27, 26, verse 1. Have the zeal. And keep the pattern up and keep maintaining. And by the way, when you maintain good works, you're maintaining yourself. You're maintaining your fellowship, not just the good works. And by doing that, you keep provoking others so others can see. You see what I mean? And you keep after it. Uh, and let me give you one more here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. I got a bunch more, but I'll cut this thing off here. 1 Timothy 6, 18. That whole thing about good works... The Bible says when it comes to good works, you and I should be rich in good works. Now, isn't that interesting? You know what that tells me? If Paul's going to use that word rich, that tells me there's a reward connected with it. Now, listen, you should serve the Lord because you want to. You should do good works because you want to. But don't let, me, don't let me remind you what you already know. When you serve the Lord with the right motive, with the right heart and the right mind, He will reward you for it. And that thing will all come out at the judgment seat of Christ. You ought to be rich in good works. And that's how that thing, that's the walk of good works. It's all inclusive. The women, the widows, the wealthy, the... What do we say the W was? The worshiping, yeah. <laughs> oh, the worshipers of God. There you go. Hey, it fits. That is how a sermon is constructed, by the way. And you look at all the synonyms, you're like, that's stupid. We've got to fix that. But uh, that's the walk of good works. See how that thing's contrasts with the walk of the unsaved? There's seven of these. We'll get another, one more. One more. How about the worthy walk? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. The worthy walk. We'll get three of these done today. The worthy walk. 
The Lord's interested in how you walk with Him. You've heard this preached before. I've said it before. I've heard a number of preachers saying, you're as close to God as you want to be right now. One person agrees, the rest of you don't think about it. That's the truth. You realize you get the most miserable Christian in the market or in the state or in the county, whoever that is, and they're just as close to the Lord as they want to be. Isn't that something? You mean to tell me, preacher, that all this stuff is dependent upon, well, first of all, it depends on whether you have a willing mind to accept it or not. And a lot of Christians won't accept the truth. And when you won't accept the truth, that doesn't, you know what that means? It just means you're going to believe a lie instead. And God lets you believe the lie, and you continue on in your lie. You see how that, that thing's a miserable, a miserable uh, way to go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what Paul here says. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy, worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness, meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What in the world does worthy mean? You talking like James Worthy? No, not that freaky uh, basketball player. But if you define the word worthy, it means having adequate or great merit, character or value, commendable excellence, deserving. Probably one of the best synonyms for worthy is deserving. All right, let's uh, define it scripturally. We defined it with uh, Webster, 1812. He's a great help. He'll help educate an uneducated mind. But right in the passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, you know what we find that that worthy walk is? It's a lowly walk. It's, It's focusing on humility. If you're going to work walk worthy of your vocation, you know what your vocation is? Yes, you know, I work it. No, 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 no. Your vocation is you're a child of God. That's what you're called to be. Know what the Bible says? Who are called to be saints? Yeah, but I work at the bank. No, you, that's what you have to do to, you know, pay some bills. But your vocation is you're a son of God. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about how you work up on the hill or flipping burgers or all that stuff. He's talking about your vocation as a child of God. And you, need, you and I need to walk worthy of, of being a Christian. You've heard the old illustration, Alexander the Great, uh, back there about 300, uh, 325 B.C. to 300 uh, B.C., 300 there. He had one fellow supposedly defect from his army, history supposedly states, and they haul him in in front of them, and he's bowing there, and he's trembling and all that, and... Uh, he said, Alexander sitting there on his throne, uh, right at about 30 years old. He says, is it true you ran off when we were fighting uh, Xerxes there? I'm sorry, Darius II there. And uh, yeah, that was me. And uh, he says, uh, and he wouldn't even look at the king. And finally looks up at him, and Alexander says, what's your name, son? He said, my name's Alexander. And the whole court just kind of. And Alexander the Great, that old crazy king that was king for just a handful of years, he looked at him and said, you need to change your name or change your ways. The lowly walk, that's the worthy walk. And if you're going to walk worthy of the vocation called to be a child of God, it's going to take some humility. That's found in Ephesians 4 too. You're going to have to learn to be humble. You have to learn that not everything in this life is about you. You've got to stop thinking that life revolves around you. Uh, not only that, it's a, it's a lowly walk. He says, with all lowliness. In that same verse, it's a walk of meekness. If he, that's a, the, it's a, me, a walk of meekness. 
A lot of people think meekness is weakness, but I guarantee it's not. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, humility, uh, a lot of that depends on uh, your demeanor. Uh, meekness, to me, seems like uh, how you respond to people. Do you respond meekly? <laughs> That's a walk of meekness there. How about this one in Ephesians 4, 2? It's a walk of long-suffering. Long-suffering. As a Christian, if we're supposed to walk worthy of our vocation in Christ Jesus, we ought to be able to take some hits on the chin, physically and spiritually. Whoa, whoa, what do you mean physically? Okay, I mean, you ought to be able to take a hit or two. You realize you do have the liberty and you do have the legal rights to lay anybody out who's, right? Someone gets after you, you can legally defend yourself, you know. <laughs> but good luck trying to witness about them for Jesus Christ. Are you saying we should turn the other cheek? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but what if that's the only way you can win them? You should be able to, oh, there it is, be long-suffering, which we are not very long-suffering as saints. Spiritually speaking, we're some of the most touchy, this is the most touchy generation we've, I've ever encountered. I can't even imagine, uh, you know, with the family situation sometimes, you're so rude. You're so, you're so terrible, you know. And I'm like, did I really mean it like that? I guess I did. And I'm probably wrong. But then you get, and the family usually gives you a little bit of grace, but then you get around other Christians, it's a bad deal. Why? Not very long-suffering. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't, like, get all frustrated on the cross? You know? Can you imagine him, you know, back-slapping somebody into Jupiter? <laughs> oh. Got to cross that part about uh, reviled not again out of the Bible. You imagine, are you, aren't you glad that the Lord did not lose his temper walking with that cross? I mean, he'd have blinked and this whole world would have incinerated. And we wouldn't even be here. But that's the worthy walk. It's a walk of uh, humility. It's a walk of meekness. It's a walk of long-suffering. And how about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2? It's a walk of forbearance. Forbearance is akin to long-suffering. You know what that means? You see that word bear right there? Not the growling kind. It's got teeth and fur. But that just means you can put up with stuff. We're supposed to forbear one another. Right? Well, hopefully I'm not losing you on this thing. You've got to put up with stuff as a Christian if you want to walk worthy. You've got to learn to put up with the, uh, the idiot saints, each other. <laughs> Amen. You've got to learn to put up with family. You've got to learn to put up with brethren that see things different than you do. Look, I understand there are saints that want to, you know, tell you what to wear and what to eat, and they want to take your coffee and your bacon. I don't care about that. You ever just stop and think about edifying them every once in a while? Are you a Christian because you just have to be right about everything, or do you want to actually help somebody? We're talking about the worthy walk here, walking worthy of the vocation which we're called. And here's, a, here's another one. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Here's a, here's a walk of uh, spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. Now, any man uh, who is a man's man will struggle with this. I'll give you both of these, spiritual unity and doctrinal unity. 
but we're talking about spiritual unity right now. Uh, that's learning how to get along with the brethren. That's a hard thing. Because you know what you're taught? Because you have the truth, and if you're confident that you have the truth, that everyone who disagrees with you in one point is a heretic of all. <laughs> well, let me tell you what, just because some brother or sister doesn't agree with what I think happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 does not make them the devil. Matter of fact, it doesn't even mean we can't fellowship. Now, if they've got issues with uh, salvation by grace through faith, I'll probably distance myself. But just because in the whole thing about, you know, is it, is it alive when it's in the womb? Or is it alive when it takes its first... I, it's not an issue of separation of fellowship. That's called study to show thyself approved unto God. And if someone's mad at me about that stuff, they're the one with a bad conscience. If I'm reading my Bible and studying my Bible and spending enough time in the Bible... It's not going to bother me whether a guy agrees with me or not. If my conscience is void of offense towards God and man and someone's getting up in my grill because I don't believe the way they do, I'm like, okay, you're probably right. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> you pray for me. I'll get better at it. But that's the worthy walk. Spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. Now, here's the question. Do you look for ways to fellowship with brothers and sisters or do you look ways to separate ways with them? You see what I mean? Do you look for a way not to fellowship with them? And the reason we do that is because people hurt us. And they stick us. And they don't stick us in the back, they stick us in the heart. And then you walk around with a broken heart all the time and you're worried about everybody sticking you in the heart. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, the Bible says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see that? That should be our endeavor as a Christian. That should be our desire to walk worthy of the vocation where Christ has called us. He's called us to be a son of God. That's spiritual unity. You should do everything you can uh, going down the right road. It's never wrong to go as far as you can down the right road with somebody. Now, when that turns into the wrong road, that's where you have to stop and make the adjustment. And then you've got uh, the worthy walk is a walk of doctrinal unity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Ephesians 4.4. 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through you all, and in you all. That's a doctrinal unity. Now that's a must. You've got to be unified on doctrine. And you don't, you don't yoke up with people who are doctrinally messed up. Uh, there's a group called the, uh, oh, what is it? I'll mess the thing up. But they've been hounding me uh, like a pack of hound dogs to join the Ministerial Association. And it's that Anglican uh, weirdo, uh, Jan Biederstadt, and all his host of merry women of other religions. And they want me to yoke up with them. Heck no, I ain't going to yoke up with them. Bunch of fools. Why? Doctrinal unity. Who's preaching? They're not going to ask me to preach, I guarantee it. They're going to get one of their, you know, merry little ladies to get up and give a little, you know, whatever. You know, God is love. But that's a doctrinal unity. And you got to watch out for those guys. It's just like uh, Sanballat at the Horonite. As soon as you start doing something for the Lord, they're going to come along. And they're going to want to distract you. They're going to want to distract you with hobbies. 
They're going to want to distract you with sports. Stay with me now. I'm not, I'm not trying to point anybody out. They're going to try to distract you with hobbies. They're going to try, Sam Ballot's going to distract you with sports. And uh, Tobiah, he's going to distract you with work. And then uh, the other guy, what's his name? Oh, that other one, Nehemiah. He's going to distract you with your own desires. And all that stuff adds up. But you need to be doctrinally unified. Doctrinally unified. All right, and uh, last but not least, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 12. Uh, the worthy walk, it's a submissive walk. Submissive walk. Now, here's the thing. I think I can speak for the majority of you. You're a King James Bible believer. Doesn't it feel good to have the truth? Come on, don't be shy. I mean, does it, is it one of those, like, flex moments? It is for me. Not like, flex seal, cut your canoe in half, and we'll just plast it on there. I'm just saying it just feels really good to know that I have the truth. That's as much as, that's as feel good as I get. It is super, right? But here's the thing. We don't always know where the answer is found. We just know we have the answer. Amen? I stake my naked soul on that book right there. I have got the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. But here's the thing. Because we have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it often puffs us up. And that's where we get in trouble. Now listen, where you have the truth, stand up for it. Where you have the truth, proclaim it. Where you have the truth, never be ashamed of it. Amen? Where you have the truth, never not have an answer to the hope that lies within you. Amen? But here's the thing. You've got to learn as a Christian, if you're going to be in that worthy walk, you're going to have to learn to be submissive. Look at verse 11. Now, these are the gifts that God gave men. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You say, where are you going with this worthy walk? Do you realize there are Christians? Listen now. And if you can't come to church and you have to listen by way of streaming, this is not for you. But there are Christians today who refuse to yoke up and join up with a local church. They won't submit. Now listen, there's, a, there's definitely people out there that can't get to one. There's definitely people who out there maybe an intramural stage where they're trying to find one. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about born-again King James Bible believers who refuse to submit themselves to the men that God gave the body of Christ. You want to walk worthy? Here's the worthy walk. You submit. You get in your place. And he says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Because he was bored? No, look at it, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Oh, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that I'm not perfect? I thought I was complete in thee. Yes, it's a great song. Spiritually, you are complete, but you're lacking. And that sanctification process is progressive. It's in the present tense. You have to work on it every single day. Look at it. For the perfecting of the saints, okay, you got to have an ox in the field for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. There it is. You know what that is? That's part of the worthy walk. That's just being willing to submit. And a lot of Bible believers, there are more Bible believers than you'd even imagine who are unwilling to submit in their walk with Jesus Christ. They'll have no man, they'll have no preacher because they think that nobody can feed them. And so they sit down and they watch YouTube and uh, sermon audio and they never go out there and they never try to become part of a local church. 
Now listen, some people are probably going to take this wrong, but that's meant exactly the Lord knows my heart on the thing. God died for the church. He shed His blood for the church. And if you're going to walk worthy the way God designed you to walk, you're going to have to learn to submit under the men that God put in your life. And you know what I found out early on as a young preacher? That if I want to do the right thing, i got to get behind God's men. You said, but I thought you were the preacher. Yeah, I am for this church, but i still got to get behind God's man. And even a preacher needs to get behind a man and push. Well, there's three out of seven. I'll catch the other four next time.